Welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can subscribe on Podbeam, Spotify, iTunes, and Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email Pastor Eric at erik.anderson at nllutheran.com. As you walked in through our doors this morning, my hope is that you were greeted warmly. Hopefully someone said hi to you. Hopefully someone said hello to you, said good morning, happy Easter. Maybe someone said he is risen or some form of greeting, right? Hopefully someone said hi and made you feel like you were welcome and you were at home. But I want you to think about that greeting. I want you to think about that person. And I want you to think about what did they say next? You see, I have a sneaking suspicion that most of the time in every one of your experiences, they probably asked you a question after that. They said, hi, how are you doing? Hey, how are you feeling today? Hey, what's going on in your life? Maybe someone who loved the 90s said, what's up? (laughs) Hopefully they didn't because that was awful in the 90s and it's still awful today. Maybe someone who's younger and cooler who doesn't even get that reference, they said, hey, what's going on? You see, we ask this question to almost everyone we run into after we greet them. To complete strangers on the street, we will say, hey, how's it going? To people we barely know, we ask this very personal and intimate question. How is your life going? And we ask this question to people and and they typically give us a very similar response. The same response that we give them, right? How are you doing? Well, I'm doing fine. I'm doing good. Life's great. How are you doing? Oh, it's great. Better than I deserve, right? We have these kind of cliche catchphrases to just kind of deflect because we don't really want to tell them the truth, do we? And this is why this question is so funny. We ask this question to complete strangers on the street, but we actually rarely ask people who we're really close with, especially people within our homes. Right, here's an example from my life, and it's probably true of your life, but, but my day off is Friday, and so Friday is normally the day when I get up early, I make breakfast for my family, I say, what do you guys want? And I try to reproduce that for them. Most of the time it goes pretty well. Last week was a train wreck. I tried to make homemade, homemade donuts. That was the dumbest idea I have ever had in my entire life. It took me like 12 hours to make something that tasted like garbage. I should have gone to Casey's like a normal human being and just got a nice dozen donuts that were perfectly made. But anyways, so in those moments when I'm making food for my family and my wife walks in, I say, good morning. But I don't say, how's it going? I might say, how you doing? But that's a totally different conversation. I normally say, good morning. What kind of eggs would you like? How much bacon would you like? Something in that nature, right? I don't ask my wife that question because I think, as I reflect on it, I'm probably scared that she'll actually answer the question and tell me the truth, right? Because if we all answer that question truthfully, maybe what came out of our mouth might make that person feel a little bit uncomfortable, especially if they responded with their own discomfort in life. But what if we actually answered that question honestly? 
What if we told people how we were actually doing? Imagine tomorrow you go to Kroger's because you got to restock your shelves after the big Easter celebration. You fill up the cart, you go to the checkout line. There's some poor, unsuspecting 16-year-old girl trying to help you out and do the best she can. She says, good evening. How are you doing? And that's when you tell her the truth. Right? Well, I'm doing horrible. Right? I just got fired. My wife just left me. My dad is on the verge of death. My six-year-old daughter won't talk to me. I haven't slept for days. So I'm great. How are you doing? I would suspect that Kroger's would probably have one less employee after that. Or at least an employee that would never ask that question again. Because when we ask that question, we don't actually expect people to tell us the truth, do we? Because when we tell the truth in response to that question, we realize very, very, very quickly that life isn't exactly how we wished it would be. Right? We kind of have this view on life that if we work hard, if we eat right, if we work out, if we love Jesus and we love others, then things should work themselves out and, and things should be perfect. But the problem is, it's not true, is it? No matter how hard we work, how much we love Jesus, how much we read our Bible, how much we pray, we still have difficult things in our life. We still experience loss. You see, we still live in a broken world. And if you weren't very aware of that before this past year, now you definitely are. We've gone through a very dark year, a moment of hopelessness and defeat. And it seemed like every time we were about to cross that finish line, the finish line got moved, didn't it? We live in a broken world with a lot of loss. But that realization perfectly prepares us for today and this moment in history that we are about to encounter. Because who are we encountering? We're encountering a group of people that are going through a very dark time and they're experiencing loss. The loss of a teacher, the loss of a friend, the loss of a nephew, the loss of a son, the loss of a rabbi who invited them into this relationship and now they feel like they've lost three years of their life and their purpose. All because of the loss of one life. The loss of Jesus. This is how Mark records it. When Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. So as Mark begins, we encounter these women. The other gospel writers from their own eyewitness perspective actually share that there were even more women than this. So we see this, this large group of women all going to the tomb because they all have at least one thing in common. They have Jesus in common. They've lost someone they love. Now that loss isn't always the same, right? Some of them had lost a teacher, a healer, but some had lost a nephew and, and even a son. There was different depths of loss in this moment and different feelings they were experiencing. But they all were experiencing a very real loss. In fact, this loss was amplified because of the events of the previous week, because what had happened? Jesus came in Jerusalem riding on a donkey, signifying that he was the conquering king. And when they saw this and when they experienced this, what did they think? This is the moment when he fixed all the brokenness of this world, when he sets everything right, and now the world will finally work how it's supposed to work, right? When you do things right, 
when you listen to God, everything's supposed to be perfect. This is the moment when he's going to fix all this brokenness. And as the week transpired, they felt even more this way. You see, when they sat down for the Passover meal, Jesus said, through this means, I'm going to give you my, my body and my blood through the bread and the wine, another restorative word from God to fix the brokenness in this world. But then he says, someone will betray me. But they still had hope. Because not only had Jesus told them, told them that someone was going to betray him, but before that, he had said three times, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. And they thought, you know what? Maybe he's telling us about the future so we can do something about the future. So when they made their way into the garden in that moment of betrayal, Peter pulls out his sword, and what does he do? He attacks. He draws first blood because he's going to fix the situation and stop this moment. The battle was on. The victory was about to happen. They were certain of it. When said, Jesus said, put your swords away. And he healed the man who was injured. And he went off quietly like a lamb to be slaughtered. And these disciples and these followers and these women would watch Jesus get pinned to a cross. They'd watch him breathe his last. They'd watch the spear get shoved into his side and the water and the blood, they would flow out and fall to the ground much like their hopes and dreams for their lives. You see, their hope was gone. And all they were left with was this horrible new normal that they did not want but that they had to live in and live through. And so they started the grieving process. And they went to the tomb to grieve and to move forward and to turn that page of the chapter so they could get some closure and go on into whatever was next. Well, this is what they did. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. They had been saying to one another, who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to the tomb? So early that Sunday morning, as soon as they could go, they headed off to the tomb to find their closure, to move on, to flip the page, and to start anew. That was their hope, to work through the grieving process. And as they went, they had this singular focus in mind. They had to get to the tomb, anoint the body, and move on. So as they walked and as they spoke, what did they talk about? They didn't share their feelings. They talked about the stone because that was in the way of their task. We have to move the stone because every tomb had a stone because the stone's purpose was to keep people out. Grave robbers and animals, they didn't desecrate the body of the people that they loved. And so every tomb had this heavy stone rolled in front of it. So big, it would take about three men to move it. So as they walk, they're having this discussion. How are we gonna move the stone? so we can anoint the body, so we can move on. But when they arrived, this is what they found. When they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled back. You see, what do these ladies expect? What did they expect to see when they walked up? They expected normal things when they walked up. They had no expectation for anything spectacular, anything miraculous, anything that we're celebrating today. They were just simply going to a tomb. And so when they saw the stone rolled away, maybe they were thinking, well, this is nice. Right now we have access. 
Now we don't have to find some men or pay some men to move it. Maybe they thought, hey, the disciples, they actually showed up. They moved the stone, they're in there, they're working through the grieving process. This is great because I know they're really struggling with this. Or maybe they had this fear and anxiety that crept in. Because if they were there and the stone was open, then what happened to the body? Maybe an animal got in and, and tore the body apart. Maybe a grave robber went in and took the body, right? They had all these fears and all these concerns, but their courage took them to the tomb. And they looked inside. And this is what they found. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Now, if you've been a part of an Easter service before, you know this young man was more than just a young man. This was an angel. And I don't know if they knew this or not, but despite that, it doesn't matter if you walk into a dark room and all of a sudden you see somebody there, especially someone that you don't know, and you flip on the lights and there they are. That scares you, doesn't it? Right? Even if you know the person, it freaks you out and you might say something you shouldn't say in church, right? It just happens. Or maybe you walk into a room, but the lights are on, you don't realize someone's there, you don't feel their presence, kind of like how we do. And all of a sudden they walk up behind you and they tap you on the shoulder and kind of freak out. These ladies walk into a tomb and they look over and they see a man they do not recognize. In a moment in history, it would be very dangerous to be a woman. And they see this man and they are startled. But this man has a message. This is what he says. Do not be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He has been raised. He is not here. Look, there is the place they laid him. the good news of Jesus Christ. But as we think about this good news, I want you to put yourself in this moment. I want you to put yourself into the shoes of these ladies. What have they gone through? They are emotionally wrecked. They have lost someone incredibly close to them. And if you've experienced loss before, you know how this feels. Your mind is all over the place. You're feeling all sorts of emotion. This is where they're at. And now they're startled and scared because they walked into a tomb and there's a man sitting there and they have all this happening within their being. And so I imagine when the angel spoke to them, he took all that into account. And it plays out this way in my mind. He, he looked at them and said, hey, I, need you to, I need you to calm down. I need you to take a deep breath. Because I really need you to hear what I'm about to tell you. So just, just listen. All right, slow your heart rate. Okay, we're going to talk about Jesus. Yes, that Jesus. Jesus of Nazareth, right? This is his hometown, right? You know, this is who we're talking about. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus who was crucified. Yes, your Jesus who died on the cross. We're talking about Jesus. Now listen, you're not gonna believe me. He's alive. He is risen. And I know you don't believe me, but go ahead and look. Look at the evidence. Look where the body was. You're, you're going to see that no animals came in here and tore the body apart, and there's evidence sitting there, and there's shredded clothes. Right? You're not going to see that. And you're going to see that it wasn't grave robbers because you're going to find the grave clothes laid there, folded up, wrapped up nicely. And no grave robbers would do that because their goal is to get in, take what they want, and move on before they get caught. So there's only one logical conclusion. It's all true. Jesus is alive. Well, there's more. 
but go and tell his disciples and Peter that he is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. So now that they've experienced this good news, he says, go and tell the good news. Jesus is alive. Go and tell the disciples. Go and tell Peter. Go tell these men so they can know the good news. And this is great news. But built into this good news is a pretty sad reality. You see, three times, three times, Jesus told these men, his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again on the third day. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise again on the third day. I'm going to rise from the dead on the third day. Three times he told them what was going to happen and when it was going to happen. But these ladies had to go tell the message to these men who should have been there. They should have been waiting at the tomb with expectation. They should have been the ones that rolled the stone away looking for something to happen as Jesus said it would happen. But where were these men? Well, the answer is built into our question. How are they doing? The truth was, not well. See, these men no longer believed, no longer had faith, and no longer trusted in Jesus. They were in, engulfed in self-pity. There were men who had given up everything to follow this rabbi who they thought was the Messiah. For three years, they spent day and night with him. They gave up everything, and they thought they knew what was going to happen next. But when their teacher died, their hopes and their dreams and their life was destroyed. And their future lay in the balance because they didn't know what people were going to do them because they were connected to this Messiah, this Jesus. And they were done. They had moved on. In fact, if you're looking for a reason this morning to believe, I think one of the most compelling reasons that I believe this story is because of these men. These men who had given up and moved on. They did not believe, they did not trust, they were not followers anymore. Jesus to them was a liar, someone who failed to live up to his promises. But when they encountered the risen Christ, everything changed. These men changed. As you read through your history books, as you read through the Bible, you see these men covered in self-pity who had given up and moved on, empowered to preach this message. And they went all around the world preaching this message that Christ had risen from the dead, that everything was about to change. Everything had already changed. And they shared that message from generation to generation to generation to today. 2,000 years later, we're hearing the same message because of what these disciples experienced, because of what had happened, of, because of what had changed the world. But they were not the first ones to share the message these ladies were. This is how Mark records it. So they went out and fled from the tomb, for terror and amazement had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. You see, when you experience the loss of a loved one, you experience a lot of emotions all over the map. 
that there's one emotion that you rarely feel and there's one feeling that you really feel. It's that feeling of hope. See, very rarely in death do we experience hope. But these ladies had a message of hope. A message of hope that they were supposed to tell, but if they told this message, they were going to look crazy. They were going to look like lunatics because no one comes back from the dead. And they were going to look like liars in a culture that already didn't take women seriously. They didn't even take the testimony of women seriously in the court of law in this day. And this is the message that God entrusted with these ladies to go and take a risk, to look silly, to hand this message on. And so they were terrified and they were scared and they were afraid. But they listened. And they shared this message with these disciples who would then encounter the risen Lord and would hand it on from generation to generation to generation to generation. Can you imagine what these ladies would be thinking if they saw what was happening today? Churches all around our globe raised and built and funded for one purpose, to share this story, the story of the resurrected Christ. And every time this story is mentioned, whose names do we mention? These ladies who took a risk to look silly, to share the good news. Can you imagine them hearing about what life is like and what these buildings look like and, and these rooms full of people look like? Can you imagine the, the angel trying to explain to them that someday, 2,000 years later, there's going to be people holding their phones, an iPad, a computer, watching it on their TV, the story about Jesus, the resurrected king, and these ladies' names would be mentioned year after year after year after year? I gotta believe they would never believe that part. That might be harder than the other part of the story. But they took this risk and it changed everything. So, how you doing? I'm good, I'm fine. Right? I'm, I'm doing better than I deserve. But how are you really doing? You see, if we got to that depth of the conversation, even in this environment, you might say something like this to me. Well, I'm great right now because I, I know for the next hour I'm going to have a great experience. I'm going to sing songs. I, I can forget about what's going on out there. But I know as soon as I walk out those doors, life is still going to be there. I know my dad will still be sick with cancer. I know my wife and my relationship might still be on the rocks. I know my, my teenage son who hasn't spoken to me in years, well, that's probably not gonna change. I know the bills still need to be paid and, and I don't know if I'll have a job next week. You see, this world is a broken place. It's a sinful place. And we kind of have this notion that if Jesus just enters into the conversation, into the realities of life, that everything will change. If I eat right, if I work out, if I love Jesus and love others, then everything, then he's gonna put this special hedge of protection around me and then everything will be perfect. But that's not the invitation that we receive. You see, the invitation that we receive from our risen king actually is so much better. It's an invitation to come follow him to be in relationship with him. Meaning that when life throws its worst at us, no matter what happens, no matter what phone call we get, no matter what diagnosis we have, no matter what's happening, Jesus will be with us 
every step of the way, breathing his hope into our space. You see, that ultimate invitation of Jesus is an invitation into his grand story and into his grand plan to fix this brokenness, not by leaving us here, but by taking us out of here into a place where everything works how we think it should work, to be brought into the hope of his perfection, a place where there is no pain and there is no sorrow. This is the hope of Easter. Heavy, the silence, the silence, stay.